Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Britain Yankee Craft Beer podcast. This time it is one of our series called Behind the Pint, in which we try to get a little bit more in depth about certain topics. And the topic today is the Lager Resurrection, question mark. Now, with me as my co-host is Church Street Senior Beer Consultant, Mr. Chuck Fort. Hey, Chuck. Hello, 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 hello. 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 Uh, and we are very fortunate enough to have with us as well, because where else were they going to go? As in fact, we are down at Riggs Beer Company, and we are with the Riggs Brothers. So introduce yourselves. I'm Matt Riggs, and we're in Riggs Beer Company's uh, Southeast Urbana Tap Room. And I'm Darren Riggs, co-founder, uh, co-brewer, co-everything. Co-a-lot of stuff. We're co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys, for inviting us down here again, because uh, I think it was about three years ago, I think it was October of 2019, before the shit hit the fan, that we came down here, and uh, that was because we said, hey, there's a, there's a great beer company down here. Let's go and see what they have. I think that if we would have known what was coming, we would have drank more that, that day. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a four-hour podcast. Probably. Yeah, it did go on quite a bit. Yeah, but that's great because once you get talking about beer, you can carry on forever. Um, and, of course, it wouldn't be the Britain Yankee uh, podcast if we weren't drinking beer. And what we have is the delicious American lager, right? That's right, yeah. So this is... Um this is a beer that we've made since the day we opened. Um, uses six-row barley and a special variety of ultra-low-oil white corn that we grow on our farm. Both of those uh, crops we grow on our farm. And, yeah, just try to make a really nice, crushable, you know, old-school American corn lager. And it yep. certainly is. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, at first, I, I th you know, you get the corn as it warms up. But at first, uh, it, it uh, just seems like a, a regular American lager. It's not... Um, it's not gonna it's not a big hoppy thing like a lot of times american lagers that you run across they they go oh, we're going to use american hops we're going to put some you know citra and some whatever in there which is fine but uh no this is um this beer is is very uh more down traditional lines and uh for me you know it's one of my favorite things it, i know that a lot of times when you brew what the brewer likes sometimes <laughs> sometimes you know they say if the brewer only brews what they like to brew, you're going out of business. So you have to <laughs> brew stuff, other stuff you may not want to brew. But this is would be one of my go-to beers. The cool right. thing about the market we're in here, um, you know, outside of the, the big city where there's a lot of brands making a lot of stuff, and, and I think maybe there's a little and bit more of a focus. Which big city is that? Is that Champaign no. or Chicago? I'm, no, I'm talking about Chicago. Maybe the Chicago area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, the cool thing is I, I looked up, I looked up uh, this fact because I kind of wanted to drop it real quick. Um, 
you know, we moved 13 half barrels this weekend of this beer alone, yeah. of American lager in this tap room. So like, this is the place to be if you want it, to make lagers. The brewer's beer <laughs> is also the people's beer here. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and right. Well, and part of the part of our you know background story is that I worked at Anheuser Busch, right? So make making a lot of American lagers and light American lagers and that sort of thing. And so, yeah. um, you know, when we moved into the the beer space, even here in Champaign Urbana, we were the fourth brewery to open. Um, so it really forced us to, hey, let's not do the typical. Uh, craft beer thing. What's our experience? Oh, Matt worked in Germany making lagers and wheat beers. I worked at Anheuser Busch making lagers and wheat beers. Um, why don't we focus on where we where we've got that experience? And oh, oh, by the way, it doesn't hurt that we like those beer styles. As well. And yeah, and yeah. oh, by the way, like a ton of people love those beer styles. Yes, yeah, right. right. And somebody's you got the people supporting it. Yeah, well, that's great. So essentially, you know, what, when we were thinking about what this topic how we're going to approach it you know we're coming up here in september to the Oktoberfest uh season uh i suspect uh, you've got a morrison going on somewhere we release it the weekend that Oktoberfest starts in munich not a not a moment sooner we're we're old pissed off crotchety brewers not july come on no. <laughs> no matter how much we make it sells out immediately so yep. we just wait to the right time and release it then and i understand you know get off my lawn I'm a grumpy old son of a bitch, but you know what? When it's 98 degrees outside, I don't want an Oktoberfest. I want to have a snap of cold in the air before, I, you know, I, I I enjoy that beer. I think it tastes even better if you wait that long. So and that's, yeah, it's not on tap yet, but it will be the every weekend, uh, every year, the weekend that it starts in Munich, that's when we release it. And historically, speaking from your perspective, you guys have been open since... 2016. 2016, and I think I'm right in saying, if we can kind of summarize your background, that you actually uh, brewed in Germany. I think your wife is German, correct? That's right, That's right. yeah. Um, and you you were in one of the forces. Uh, we were both, yeah. Both, both, yeah, right. Yeah, I was in the Marines. I was in the Navy for okay. uh, 10 years on active duty. Okay, yeah. so, um, you know, you've got a, a history of um, being associated with the heart, I say, of the lager industry, and that would be Germany. Mm. Um, Chuck, of course, you know, you guys at Church Street, and this is always, I know it always burns the owner, Lisa Greger, that mm. whenever they're talking about breweries that produce excellent lagers, it's Dovetail, it's, uh, let's see, um, well, there's Goldfinger and in, in our oh. area, and yes, they do produce as great lagers. They don't never seem to... Marketing is a big church. part of the marketing, marketing is, is a big, big part, part of the industry. Yeah. So. I, I hear Church Street down here quite a bit when, okay. when I just meet people who see that we focus on that as well. So maybe uh, you don't hear it as much up there, but I, I hear okay. Church Street mentioned down here. Yeah, it's, it's picking up. I mean, it's just, but you know, at the beginning, there wasn't a whole lot of marketing done. And I think that's probably part of the reason. Sure, it's a big part of the reason. I, we'll probably circle back on that thread several times throughout the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's. that's one of my least favorite things about the beer industry. I love like pretty much everything about growing ingredients, brewing the beer, drinking the beer, of course. Um, I really don't like the, the marketing and hype side. And um, it's for exactly that reason, you know? Uh, we can talk about cold IPA and, and <laughs> how that's actually a lager. And we've been making an adjunct West Coast cold 
IPA, if you call it that, since the day we opened is a year round beer mm. years before any, you know, before Wayfinder launched this trend. And it's really good. And I'm sure that I haven't had Wayfinder's beer, but I'm sure it's really, really good too. But the, the thing I don't like about the industry is when something gets hyped, it, it, it kind of, you disjoin quality from hype and excitement. And I would love to see a beer industry where it's more like quality drives that rather right. than whatever like really nebulous uh, Facebook, Instagram, untapped well, sphere. And it drives. could be like at the beginning, right? The first cold IPA might have been the, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. But then everybody hops on that kind of the hype train. And uh, so, so seems... I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I don't worry about it. I, 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 I think that I would love to help kind of craft a, a beer industry here in America where, where we move away from that. And, yeah. and it's not as important. Now, maybe that's just a cra- the, in my like, idealistic. It seems line. like the rule is, you know, I say is that uh, there are two rules is, is you can't make bad beer. Mm-hmm. That's be good. And marketing. Mm-hmm. And those are like the two things. As long as you don't screw up any of those two things, you'll be fine. But if you make a bad beer, oops, like, sure. something goes wrong or, or if you don't do the marketing. Yeah. And so, you know, I do see like uh, new breweries pop up and uh, are all of a sudden they're known for making lagers, but you know, uh, it's just the marketing. You see what they do and, 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 uh, and it's about starting excitement. Uh, new breweries are always gonna get the excitement too. So yep. you need to really hit that from the start. Mm-hmm. If you miss that, then you're you're kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah. Well, to be fair though, I mean, I've I've also had you know some some dovetail lager and and some Goldfinger lager, and right. and they're both really good, really great beers. Right. The the, the cool yeah. thing is in America now we've got like a lot of really good beer out there, even on the on the lager side. So, you know, if hype's a part of the business plan, um, I'd say good luck because lassoing that unicorn um, initially is difficult, and then keeping it. Um, yeah. Lassoed because they just kind of vaporize and then reappear in another another trend. Yeah. If that's part of the plan, I'd say, man, that's that is a a tough plan. I think the better plan is just make really good beer, run your business really tight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I think an advantage we have is you know 100% of the equity of Riggs Beer Company is sitting right here. There's no other ownership in the company, so keeps it simple. It keeps it simple, and it yeah. keeps you focused on your product. When and that's the same thing the with Church it's, Street. It's, it's really. It's like, yeah, we, don't have, we have no investors. For sure. Just Lisa owns it, and that's, that's yeah. it. So yeah. I think so. that's, that sets you up for success, and, and the hype thing is going to do what the hype thing is going to do. Yeah. Make great beer, and I think, I think you're going to be fine. And it's not too... So, so going, yeah. back to, to going back to that hype, it sometimes the average, I say the average, a lot of craft beer drinkers are of a certain demographic. I think everybody reckons they're... Middle-aged yeah. white men? Uh, n- no, I was going to say an age bracket, actually. <laughs> oh, let's just cut through the shit. Like, no, no, I was going to say... Middle-aged, middle-upper-class white guys, right? People with, who with are in accounts. the 25 to 35, I think. Sure. The primary, the primary people, they probably got, at that point, more disposable cash. Now, let's, let's go back to when they say, yeah, I'm a craft beer drinker. A lot of people will not realize that lagers are also craft beers because they're made... Um, you know, the same way you make the other beers, right? You're doing it yourself. You're doing it, your recipes. It's not, they, they think, I think, 
of the lagers as being the traditional Anheuser-Busch, the Millers, the Coors, the, all those types of ones. Now, there's other ones that have got legendary names behind them, like Yingling and Rolling Rock. But once again, they are the bigger side of things. So first of all, let's, let's separate out for everybody what's the difference between an ale and a lager. The yeast. Thank you. And what's the, <laughs> what's the yeast that you use? So we use 3470, which is a... Oh, wait a minute. Hasn't it got a Latin name? <laughs> oh, sure. Saccharomyces pastorianus. Hey! Yeah. Well, and origi- originally Carlsbergensis. Mm-hmm. Pastori- okay. uh, uh, yeah. Saccharomyces Carlsbergensis, named after the Carlsberg Brewery, okay. where it was first isolated. But, yeah, the, sub- the subset of lager yeast we use, 3470, and, and that's because it's the most popular German lager yeast. I've worked with it for a lot of years, and it's the most popular for good reason. It's extremely versatile and dependable. Um, Toys things out nicely too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a great yeast to, to yeah. work with. Lager beer brewing, uh, one thing I've always kind of liked to tell tours or like I bait a question out there with tours is, um, you know, what's the difference between ale and lager? And usually the home brewer like really excitedly jumps up. Mm. Well, ale likes to ferment warm and lager likes to ferment cold. And that, sometimes when I'm feeling a little bit mischievous, <laughs> I point out, like you are exactly incorrect on that, or exactly half incorrect on that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All yeast wants to ferment warm. If we, if the yeast are a purely evolutionary microbe, they are trying to consume as much resource as quick as possible to replicate as quick as possible. Ale yeast don't have the ability to ferment at lower temperatures. They just metabolically fail at that point, and, and right. nothing happens. Um, lo- yeah, lager yeast, if we force them to, even though they'd much rather ferment at like Belgian ale fermentation temperatures, mm-hmm. and it would taste like Belgian ale at that point. And you have to imagine that's an evolutionary thing, right? Sure. Because the, it was the Bavarian, you know, in the high altitudes where it's cold, or when they started isolating these that like you were talking about at Carlsberg, well, somebody obviously went up there and grabbed some of this yeast, you know. Isn't that in Denmark? It is in Denmark, but they went, <laughs> yeah. they went to the Alps. They, to, they went to the Alps to get the yeast, and then oh. they and then they did the science work up uh, up in yeah. the lowlands. Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very familiar with Carlsberg because it, I used to drink it when I was in the UK. But also, it's uh, one of the Premier League soccer team's main um, sponsors, and they they always <laughs> have it around. Carlsberg, probably the best beer in the in world. The world. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. It's a bold um, statement. I'm, yeah, it's I'm a not bold statement. That's why they said probably. <laughs> so, um, okay, so we, we've got that separation. There's the yeast. Now, uh, the other one that I think uh, we want to try and understand is how the lagers are, once you get them into the tanks, they tend to take a longer time. And I think the word lager means to store. Is it lagern? It, oh, to yes. store? Yeah. You speak German, right? I do. Okay, give us a little German. Wasseltig uh, sagen. Okay, uh, La- lager bedeutet, yeah. Was in, and Lagerhaus is ein Warehouse, wo okay. man gute, sack gute um, Lager teilt. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Great, we're into You should have told me now. something. Uh, I was drawing a blank there, but yeah, yeah so Lager. Yeah. So I was, I was saying a Lagerhaus in German is a warehouse where you store goods. Okay. La- yeah, so Lager is to store. Okay. Um, and that just comes from the fact that when you slow down the metabolism, so there's a citric acid cycle, right? Um, the metabolism of ale yeast and lager yeast is almost exactly the same. Um, there's a couple types of sugar that one can do and the other can't, but say it's the exact same process, right? Wow. The speed is the difference. And when you use cold temperature to reduce the speed, what you do, it's kind of like a bicycle tire that has mud on it. 
If you spin it fast, a bunch of stuff flies off. If you spin it slow, only a little bit will fly off. And that's the best analogy I've thought of when it comes to, you know, comparing ale versus lager fermentation. The, the, the speed of the fermentation is directly and even non-linearly uh, correlated to the amount of byproduct that's created per molecule of sugar that's fermented. And to spin the tire slower, that means you're going to travel slower, right? It's going to yeah. move forward through fermentation more slowly. And that's, that's really the, the main difference is slow and cold equals less byproduct in solution to the tune of like maybe 20% of what a Cal Ale strain can, can produce. So a nice, clean, neutral American Ale strain is still going to make four to five times the amount of byproduct that a coldly fermented um, lager strain. Now you talk about byproducts, are you thinking about esters mostly? Yeah, the whole gamut, the whole gamut, esters being one of them for sure. Okay, so there's more than just just esters? Yeah, yeah, and esters, phenols, um, pretty much anything that it, also ethanol. So if you look look at the, the ratio of of all alcohols that are produced, there are a lot of alcohols that are produced in, in fermentation. The primary one is ethanol in the brewery. Yeah. And that's the clean one. That's the shortest chain, the simplest alcohol. It's going to be the cleanest sensorically and actually the least bad for you. I can't, you know, I'm not a medical doctor. And if I was, I would probably say even more about how alcohol in general is not good for you. But ethanol is the least worst for you. The longer the alcohol gets, the longer that chain of alcohol gets, the, the yeah. more difficult it's going to be for your body to deal with. And that's when you get that harsh alcohol, mm-hmm. too. Rather than yeah, the fusel, that yeah. fusel burn. Okay. Um, and so what lagers can do is, is not only make a lot less byproduct, but the, the ratio of ethanol to higher fusel alcohol is much lower. Okay. So that's also a, an important uh, thing that, that lager yeast can do when you, when you treat them the right way. And, and <clears throat> one of the things that I always thought was the case was that one was bottom fermented and the other was top fermented, but as I understand now, they still use that terminology. Can, yeah, you can you can do either with lagers. Am I right? Well, uh, that, it, the yeast is everywhere in mm-hmm. the fermenter. You know, <laughs> and it, it's really yeah, it's really an effect of that speed of the fermentation is where the yeast you end up seeing the yeast if you're fermenting it in an old you know open topped uh, fermenter, or you right, actually yeah. see what's going on. Whereas you know the vast majority of of even you know at Anheuser Busch is all fermented in closed uh, fermenters yeah. as well as at, at most craft breweries, um, but you know it, it, what the the yeast tend to circulate as fermentation is going on in the metabolism, and uh, when the lager yeast is going so much slower, it just never makes it vigorously to the top of the fermentation like an, an ale yeast. Would. Plus, I think a lot of the there were some ale yeast and probably still some that when they start to flock out, then they stick they clump together I beg a lot. Your pardon? They flock out, <laughs> flock and they, out. Okay. they trap CO2, and so they actually do come to the top towards the end of the fermentation, and you can yeah. scoop that off. Loggers tend to not do that so much, and so people just sort of start Could you explain it. flock out quickly? Just Flocculation. That's, the, that's when you get the... Yeah, they grow these little, uh, this is silly, these little hairs. Isn't it? Uh, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a self-preservation thing. When they start running out of stuff to eat, they'll... Together, they, oh, it's like little velcro, little velcro things that grow out of the sides of them. Yes, they physically stick together, okay, like and a flock of sheep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So wheat beer, except is, less woolly. Yeah, <laughs> that would probably not no, be as good. pleasant in the glass. But um, yeah. So so in German, they still use those terms untergerig and obergerig. So unter under fer, and gerung, gerung is fermentation. Okay. Uh, so they still call them that, and really. And, 
the cool thing about working um, in Germany, I, I worked at a really old brewery there. All of our beer was open fermented, wheat beer and lager in primary. Um, I'm going to tell you that the even like a Doppelbach, a massive, big, boozy beer in the open top fermenter, you know, the, the Kreuzen deckel or the, the blanket of Kreuzen that comes to the top mm-hmm. was still relatively small compared to a lower gravity wheat beer in the open fermentation cellar in the wheat beer cellar. That thing came up a couple feet. Yeah. And that's why they called it that because they, were used, they used to always be fermented in open vessels. And the bottom fermenting yeast, just it wouldn't really show a ton of activity at the top. It is absolutely, the yeast is oh, yeah. throughout yeah. the liquid. That's fine. But you see a lot more at the top on the top fermenting ale yeast. Um, and then also from harvesting, that's a great point as well. Um, a traditional wheat beer brewery in Germany is going to be top cropping or harvesting. They're going to have like a spillway, like a dam. Okay. With a spillway. And at the very peak of high croissant, um, that really healthy yeast top cropping uh, ale yeast will spill out into another tank and, and you'll harvest that and use that to repitch. Or in the lager yeast, no open fermenting brewery lager-wise in Germany that I know of ever harvest from the top because you, that's not where there's a, a high density of cells. You actually wait until you transfer out that, that, that fermenter and you've got a bit of like a, like a standpipe that you mm-hmm. rack the somewhat clear um, one-week-old beer off. Mm-hmm. And then... That, that couple inches of what's left over in the bottom of the fermenter, that's what you get. So the bottom fermenting yeast, historically, you're, you're harvesting from the bottom, and the top fermenting yeast, at least with some strains, like a wheat beer strain, there's certain English ale strains where they do this, um, okay. that are really great at, at top cropping. Now when, <clears throat> so we put, uh, last week, just to let the listeners know, we brewed a beer with Church Street and Riverlands Brewing Company. It was a Zeugel, and you put it into a, a regular fermenter, right? Yeah. And so all like that yeast is going to go down to the bottom. Now, do you, do you reuse that? Yeah, you can repitch. Every time you repitch, there's a little bit of mutation that goes on. So maybe some places repitch like five, six times, four times. Some mm-hmm. repitch 14 times. Mm-hmm. just depends. Uh, you just have to watch it, and, and uh, if you have... You know, microscope. You can actually, you know, look look under a scope and look for uh, mutant little little itty bitty yeast. You start seeing too many of those, or things don't taste right. Then, or anything, anytime the yeast tells you something, listen to it. Don't use it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Listen to your yeast. Well, I think we should listen to our yeast just for a few seconds while we take a quick break. Come back, and I want to talk about types and styles of lagers. So back in a sec. We are now with a couple of new beers, in fact, well, one new beer, we each have it, which is the reason that we came down here, because when we originally said, you know, would you mind joining in on a lager conversation over Zoom, you said, well, why don't you just come down? We love to talk in person. I says, okay, great. So fitted it into my busy schedule, because I am going off out of country, back to the old country, uh, in a couple of weeks. Say hi to the Queen for us, would you? (laughs) Have a what? Say hi to the Queen. I will. Yes, Elton John will be happy to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, this this beer here is what you're calling your six-row pills, which is the, this is a new beer for you. 
And this is a lager, right? This is a Pilsner lager. Um, I grew up on Pilsner Urquell, so a Czech style. But my understanding is that at some point in time, the Czech Republic and Bavaria were kind of together at some point, and over history, it's now separated out, right? Um, as I taste this, uh, very, um, I wouldn't say very, but a, a delightful kind of hoppy, grassy feel to it. Uh, yeah, you get it on the nose. You get it on the nose. Right at yeah. right first, the first, when you put yeah. your nose into it, you get it right away. It's not real strong, but it's definitely there. It's pleasant. Very, very unique. Is this a, a locally grown hop? Yeah. Possibly. Yes. So, is, yeah, so that's where I was going. Is this with your pills, with your malt? Because uh, if you don't know, they also have a farm, which is big. I don't know how many acres, but they well, grow. It'd stuff. be big in England, but it's not big over here. Oh, They're okay. tiny over here. <laughs> okay. How many acres? 316 acres in okay. the farm. Sounds and, you do, and you do grow your own uh, barley and whatever else you might use. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. So this six real pills is 100% Riggs grain. Every bit of grain in the beer is, is ours. Um, it's just made out of two grains, six row um, spring malting barley, a variety called Lacey that we've been farming for several years. And then our ultra low oil white corn. With, with the American that we just had, we still cut that with some commercial two row. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that's just from a capacity constraint, like getting enough grain to, uh, to meet our entire demand is, is, has been a little bit challenging um, and having it, having it all come in in a very tight specifications. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, of malting quality, yeah, one might say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what we do is we kind of take, right now we're at the point where we take the best couple batches of our, our homegrown malt each year and we say, okay, these are good enough that we're gonna peel it away and make a beer just by itself and be 100% um, our own grain. So yeah, 100% of the corn and, and barley uh, is, is ours. And then, so all the grain bill and then all the hops come, and this beer come from Hallowed Hops Farm over in Lewistown, Illinois. So straight west of us at Urbana, if you go uh, to the Illinois River, okay. uh, there's, a, there's a guy, Eric, over there that's got a hop farm. Oh, and, is, yeah. is he growing uh, like noble hops and things like that? Or? Uh, so right now he's growing like uh, Chinook, Cascade, um, Crystal, and um, started making. No, you just started uh, this year transition to Mackinac, right? Which yeah. is okay. out of that. I was just Michigan. trying to figure out what hop this was. So this is um, the only aroma addition in this hop is crystal. Okay, it's crystal. Okay, but it's Illinois crystal, and Illinois crystal is different than mm -hmm. than what you buy from BSG crystal yeah, or from okay. the hop suppliers crystal. Yeah. It's a little bit more lemon grassy, peppery. Yeah, it. I almost died. Is that size? And I was like, oh. yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> my, my understanding is, and I got this from uh, another brewery, which is down in uh, February, Illinois, Emancipation Brewing, and Lincoln Slago out there. He used locally grown hops. I think he grows his own hops. And he said it's all to do with the fact that the Illinois soil is a lot different to anywhere else where it's grown. And I don't know what the component in that soil is that makes this so unique because I've been able to identify an Illinois-based beer over others. And, I, and I, it's just that extra fresh type of flavor to it. I mean, this is crisp. This has delicious. a nice um, the lace on the glass. I mean, that's, that's pretty nice looking. Especially when you consider there's a big chunk of corn adjunct in there. Yeah, yeah. That, that speaks to the high protein content of that six row, which is exactly why six row has for, you know, 180 years in America 
been married with corn to make beer here because it, it does it a perfect job <laughs> of of bringing that high protein barley down into you know European specification essentially. The, I wonder the, if you know, just use some of that with like a regular grain, like uh, without if you didn't have corn, just like a if you had a six row, if that would help the. I mean, it's always a balance with the lace and clarity. You know, it's mm. like always sure. trying to like as this beer would attest with its you know. Slight haze. Slight yeah. haze. It's clear yeah. with some haze, but I actually but, I prefer the the lace. But yeah, you know some people want them clear, so we we filter. But um, so it, one yeah. thing I'll just add: we don't do any uh, fining uh, agents Zero. at all, and we don't do any filtering. So uh, we kind of have our modified uh, right version of the Ryan High School, you might say, uh, where we sneak in corn, so, unmalted okay. corn, unmalted which technically corn. wouldn't. But otherwise, we've never used any ingredient that isn't. Grain, we just use grain water hops and yeast. Grain water it. hops and right. yeast. And so some of the beers end up a little hazy at the end, especially the ones with that, you know, Illinois-grown barley, six-row barley. Um, but, you know, that's, that's not the end of the world. I, so, nobody cares. <laughs> no. You know, no. it's really yeah, it's weird. It's like, um, and especially now that people like hazy beers have become more popular. It's like, okay, so you're... Uh, so your lager's got a little haze to it. People right. probably love that. <laughs> right. I mean, hazies to me, uh, we've never made one. We'll never make one. I don't, I understand people. Okay, like, well, done there, John. Well, it. no, are we doing? Are we doing no, the conversation? No, I'm just saying that's it. I just want to stay here forever yeah. because <clears throat> I'm no. not a hazy guy either. When I see people <laughs> like hazies on the internet, and I've had a couple. I've had like, well, I didn't finish them. I had like two of them, and we're like, yeah, okay, no thanks. Yeah. Uh, they kind of look like. Um, like a yeast harvest <laughs> to me. Like that's <laughs> what we get out of the tank to then pitch into the new batch. Yeah. And again, I'm not bashing. I'm not bashing anybody that likes those styles. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe just a little yeah. bit. But. Yeah, a little. Well, if I, you I, like I, it, that's fine. That's right. I'm just saying we don't like well, it and that, and we're not going to make them. The way I see it, was, what happened was like, you know, during the 90s or so, IPA started to catch on, but it was just a small select group of people. I was like one of them. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, here's something new. At first, you know, it tastes terrible. Then you get used to it, and then you start to like it. Then you want more and more and more. And then we started really happy IPAs, and it was like this certain group of people that loved them, but they had this real resiny finish. And and and, uh, but people it caught on. But then all of a sudden, they realized, hey, we can have all these hops without that resiny finish, you know, and put all you know, and, and uh, put all the hops at the end of the boil, and and. Uh, I mean, it comes out tasting like orange juice, kind of, but uh, it's not real super bitter. All right, That's well, right. we've taken the diversion off into the world of hazy <laughs> and giving, giving them more pub than we need to. So let's get back to lagers. Okay, please. different types of lagers. So we've had, uh, the first one we had was the American lager, which is about the closest that you guys are going to brew to the traditional Millers and Coolers and things like that, right? Then, we, then we've moved on to this Pilsner, which we talked about. What other ones do we have in that lager family that we that we want to talk about and point out that you particularly like? You just go up the line, right? Just start with with your Hellas, then go to your Pilsners, and maybe Dortmunder, and then maybe a maybe a Dunkel and a Oktoberfest, a Fest beer and an Oktoberfest, and a and a, a Bach, maybe a Mai Bach and a Bach, Doppelbach. <laughs> Doppelbach. So if you if you were going into a store now, we have a local uh, supermarket near us called Woman's. They do uh, a, a great selection of imported beers, German beers. So if you were going in there, you could get a Dortmunder Export from Dab. You can get uh, a Radeberger's Wickel 
which is delicious. You can get uh, a lamb beer, and I can't remember the name of it, Gravenstein, I think it is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and things like that. Blonde beer and Zwickel are kind of interchangeable. Okay. Pretty, um, pretty much unfiltered lager. Okay, and, and it is. And, and, yeah. and the lamb beer is almost, I think, bordering on an ale flavor, a light ale flavor. So if you had to tell somebody, you know, what you need to do is before you taste the American lagers that we're making here in the craft beer industry, get yourself some standards. Get get a couple of beers from Germany and, and taste and see what you think it's like. You know, do them side by side. What would you suggest somebody would go out and purchase? Well, I think it, uh, one thing to think about is and consider is that not every German brewery does um, an equally good job of, of getting their beer here in great condition. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Agreed. You know, having living, lived and worked in the German brewing industry for several years, um, I know that really, really great lager beer is ubiquitous in Germany. There are so many great breweries doing such a great job at it and have been for, for hundreds of years. But not all of them get beer here in great shape. I would say that um, Weinstefan, so the, the Bavarian state-owned state brewery, um, it's the oldest brewery in the world, or at least they proclaim it to be. Um, it's... It looks old, so it's probably probably checks out. Uh, they do probably the best job that I know of of any German brand of getting really good fresh beer here. Um, I don't know; they're probably cold storing it the whole time. You know, I don't want to like advertise yeah. them, uh, advertise uh, for them, uh, but like I get their their premium and I get it yeah. in the twenty two ounce bottle. Yeah. Now here's the funny thing, and it's almost like I don't know if it's just the Chicago area, but you know. At least I brought in some 12-ounce bottles. And I go like, oh, those aren't going to be any good. Those are going to be skunky. Sure enough, we opened up. It's like a skunk. For some reason, I don't know if it's a lighter-colored glass or if the 12-ouncers don't move very fast, but the 22-ounce bottles, I've been buying those for years, and they're, they're like, perfect. It so probably does know. have to do with wholesaler regions I as well, just, right? Because you guys it's have really different wholesalers up there than we do down here hmm. and who knows what their practices are and throughput yeah. and all that. It's I just know that are. every German beer that I've had down in this market, Weinstefan seems to be in the best shape when it gets okay. here. Yeah, that's um, my favorite. And get it at some place that has refrigeration if you yeah. can, like yeah. Woodman's up there or something. But yeah, um, in cans, preferably. Um, yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, because like, I, even, in, even in cans, like some of the burgers like at, at, um, at Binnie's are kind of Oxidizing, yeah. but you get them refrigerated; they're pretty good. Or, or like Kernick, these I haven't seen Kernick uh, in a while. I've seen Kernick. I'll get you some. I'd say the best thing is, you know, honestly, if you like beer and you haven't been to Germany and spent a couple of weeks drinking beer around Germany, then like that should be a priority. You should do that. Yeah, uh, because it's it's legit, right? There's a hype around it. It's legit. There should be a hype around it. And if you want to actually have fresh beer at the source. Um, there. <laughs> you know, don't don't trust the retailer that had a domestic wholesaler that maybe had an international shipping company yeah. in the brewery, all that in between. Cut all that out and go go drink for yourself and find out that you know the, the hype does check out for the most part. Plus you can save money, right? Once you get there, the beer is super cheap compared to how it much it costs cheap. over here. So <laughs> right, exactly. Look at it that way. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, all you have to do is drink 3,000 beers in two <laughs> weeks, and you've paid for your plane ticket. No I think that's possible. <laughs> um, so we, we, we talked about the ales and lagers, and then when the, when the craft beer boom started up in this country, 
it was like the, I think it just coming in when I came over. I came over in 1980, and it was about two or three years later it really started to take up. But it wasn't a lager at that time. And that time I was drinking some of the Wisconsin lagers. Um, I spent some time in Michigan. I drank Stroh's, you know, Detroit River. Fire brewed. Fire brewed. <laughs> Fire brewed, though. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, but predominantly the, the craft beer boom was coming along with ales. Um, unless I know different, <laughs> unless you could tell me different, that's that's how it kind of started. And even today, I think that, that that trend of people drinking craft beer being ales rather than being lagers still exists to a certain extent. Thoughts? Sure. No, Agreed. Yeah. It was a heck of a thing going into the beer business back then when, when the big guys were putting everybody out of business. And mm -hmm. so ales, of course... You can make them more quickly. So from an economical standpoint, it makes sense to start with that. Or, and cheaply, less refrigeration yeah, requirements. Yeah, it's, you know, right. it's yeah. Like on every mechanical, technical aspect, it's easier to make an ale than it is to make a lot. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think uh, when we look at the, the, the different beers that are out there, then perhaps people need to take a step back. Once you've been drinking your hazes for a while and you're starting to get to know better beer, <laughs> and you know you can also i love your podcast lager, lager. <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know it's like <laughs> um and so you know you how would you if somebody came in here i and i and i have to admit i come in here to your brewery and i don't get i don't get a craft brewery feeling i get a kind of a down to earth fantastic beers good place to come and have a conversation and it and most of these are lagers that you have on your list we almost never refer to ourselves as a craft brewery in in conversation it's i don't like the term it's kind of meaningless to me yeah. um i will use the term regionally produced or, or local beer yeah. because that means something to a given uh you know geography even microbrewery is fine because we are we are small we, like, me, we meet the definition to yeah. be micro um <laughs> but you know we we don't really like the term um plus it's come to it has a lot of uh expectations or you could call it baggage that comes along with it you know like if you're a craft brewery well how many ipas do you then have you're gonna have it's a like, bunch of ipas yeah. and, and so we've never brewed that, we have never brewed an ipa fruit beers right. how many fruit beers do you have? we've never brewed a fruit beer Grain, water, hops, and yeast. We've never used lactose, <laughs> vanilla, any type of fruit, nothing ever. Oh, and come on. And we sell a shit ton of beer. I mean, we sell yeah, yeah, we sell right. all that we could. We're a capacity. Um, we don't you don't use a lot of that either. But we we are a contract brewer, so some of our contract sure, brewers sure. are just insane. There's and there's nothing wrong with that. I always like, <laughs> to, like I want to throw this out there. The the craft beer drinker, in the modern definition of craft, and I'm a yeah. member of a couple craft beer groups on on Facebook. And all the stuff I see posted there, like to me, interests me like at negative. I'd rather maybe have a wine, and that's saying I don't like wine, right? Than some of the weird shit that's on there. Um, but again, it's weird shit to me. If people like it, I don't want to talk down on it. Like that's fine. Technically, it's a beer. The TTB calls it a beer. That's 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 fine. I just like we don't yeah. use the term. I think that, that growing all of your own grain and fermenting it into beer, if that ain't craft, well, what the fuck is a craft, yeah. right? Like, that's, <laughs> that's a craft. And, and, and the enthusiasm of the craft brew beer drinker and the craft beer industry made it possible 
the, those who went before us for for us to be able to open right. a brewery here and be as successful as we are you know the uh, again so it, it's not that we're um you know casting shade in that direction so much as setting our own path uh to kind of differentiate ourselves from the pack yeah i mean this is this is your feed because everybody who starts up a brewery needs to uh understand what beers they're going to brew and i think by and large church street was the same because you started with continental oh that was no what was the continental well did the hellas and hellas and uh, continental and uh the Scotch ale and well, we got Scotch you know, ale, but um, classics, classics, and yeah. I think lagers are classics, right? I would say beware of the vocal minority in beer drinking. I mean, um, the people who are non-tapped. <laughs> I'll just say vocal minority, <laughs> okay. but yes, um, you know, like this weekend, we sold like forty-five half barrels of beer in the tap room. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. A lot of beer, yeah, right. And I think that maybe like one percent of those people have untapped. On their phone. Yeah. yeah. There's a huge silent majority of beer drinkers that want locally produced, really well executed, fresh. balanced, fresh beers from a family business. You know, they, they want to buy into all the cool things that we're excited about, about the craft beer industry, but they, they, don't, they don't want the, the things that seem hyped or popular mm-hmm. right now. And it seems like in America, a lot of breweries are going after a very vocal minority. And I would say, please, other breweries, keep doing that. Because we're selling a shit ton of well-executed, balanced beers to beer drinkers that actually drink like four beers a day and have never heard of Untapped. We'll come here and order four of the same beers instead of working their way. What do you have that's new? I never hear that here in the tap room. It's yeah. very, very rarely. That's at a festival. Usually that's what you hear. No. Right. Yeah, and that's why right. I mean, we really don't go to festivals anymore. You, you still... Why, why go to a festival? What's new? I, well, I don't know. I got an American lager. Yeah. If, you, if you like a good, clean, pale lager, then you'll love this. And it's made with local <laughs> grains, and we can have that whole story. But if you're looking for something that's just new... Isn't that dry hop with Count Chocula? No. <laughs> no? So, again, like I'm glad that we live in a market with 9,000 breweries, and, and people are going all over the place, because that's America. We are a hot, sweaty mess of a country. Right. And the beer industry right now reflects that, and that's really great, because it gives consumers a, a choice of... A, you know, what they want to go go for and try. If you're a beer drinker in Germany, you're not going to have access to some of the more, like, hyped stuff that's going on here right now. Mm-hmm. And so if you want that, you're losing out if you're in Germany. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want that, if you want well-made, really well-made, very reasonably priced um, local beer, then then you're in luck. So so yeah. if, you, if you have people who come in here who, who are not, regulars don't know you and they ask for flights you, you do do flight mm-hmm. you do flights <laughs> it's kind of a build your own you know, okay uh, two, two bucks a short pour we call it yeah, for a five ounce short pour yeah and you can build it if you want one or okay. if you want six we can whatever two bucks per short pour so as i look on on your list and i see well starting at the top you had the american lager then you come with a hefeweizen a red lager an india pale lager that'd be your nod towards adding a lot more hops yeah, I'm, okay. <laughs> all, all the kids out there would call it a cold IPA at this point. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we were doing it before it was cold. IPL. I, I used to be in IT, and that was initial program load. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. Okay. <laughs> Computer science guy here. Yeah. Um, then we come down. We got a Hellas, a Pilsner. We got the six row Pils, which we have. The Kolsch, the Illinois Kolsch. Mm-hmm. Nice putting the Illinois in front of it. 
And then at the bottom there, I see one that says Citra Weizen. So I'm assuming that that is a wheat beer with Citra hops. Yep. That's, okay. yeah, that is that is considered an ale? Yep, yep. So we use the wheat beer strain. Okay. So the wheat beer, the Hefeweizen, Citra Weizen. We also make a, a Dunkelweizen and a Weizenbach. Those are the four wheat beers we make um, throughout the year. The Hefeweizen is the only one that's year-round. The others right. are seasonals. But yeah, all those use the same you know, base wheat beer strain. They're all made with at least 50% wheat. Um, that's, that's the law in, in Germany. You have to, to call wheat beer a wheat beer. You have to use at least 50% wheat. Okay. Here, you can pretty much do whatever you want, but we, we do conform with, with that one um, to say, uh, I think our, our wheat beer right now is like 55% wheat. Um, yeah, those are all, that's, that's the other yeast strain we have in the house. Mm -hmm. I know this is a lager-centric podcast, but we have two house strains, our German lager and the Bavarian wheat beer. And then Kolsch raises its head once a, once a year. Yeah, once a year we bring in a Kolsch strain to make some Kolsch, and then we usually use that to make our barley or wheat wine. And a lot of these lagers come from different regions in Germany. So we talked about Kolsch, and that comes from Cologne. Oh, technically an ale, though. Oh, technically an ale. Yes, you're right. See, I can't get mm -hmm. over that, because there we go. We've got a nice it's beer a hybrid looks yeast. type yeah. of like a lager, you know. Uh, but, I mean... Um, where you brewed in Germany, and did you ever go to Germany, Derek? Oh, I visited several times. Okay, absolutely. You never got out there in the na uh, the Navy, right? Well, no, no. Uh, they don't have a lot of sea. Right? A lot of water. Just a little, <laughs> bit, a little bit up in the north, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no. But visited, you know, as a uh, as a tourist. Actually, when I was in the Navy, I was stationed in Italy for a couple of years, and so I made it up for Oktoberfest and the you know typical tourist uh, things as well. So uh, you bring up. Italy, okay, so a very uh, popular beer at the moment to brew is the Italian Pilsner. <laughs> Any thoughts on that one? No, no, no shaking I see some shaking of the head. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I, oh, man, I lived in Italy for two years, and, um, Peroni? you know, <laughs> the beer is, is, you know, it's beer. Uh, technically, <laughs> yeah. again, like it's Italy is not known for beer. If you're in Italy, drink the wine. The wine, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... From what I understand of the Italian pills story is it was, you know, and I'm not bashing any small independent producer because guess what we are, right? That's what yeah. we are. It's not really a historically powerful beer style. It's like when right. people say a Nuremberg or a Frankisches Rot beer, a red beer from Nuremberg. I always say, like, that's not really a style. There's like one brewery that kind of made it for a while and... We are searching really hard sometimes here in the, in the beer community to find cool new stuff. Yep. And sometimes we kind of like amplify and fudge if something was actually a thing somewhere. Mm -hmm. A dry hopped Pilsner, Italian style Pilsner, um, I would say is, is not really a real historical beer style. That doesn't mean don't brew it. But I, I do have to cast a little bit of shade on that. Like, goes, that was not ever a, a, a regional. There goes trip. marketing. See, yeah. this is marketing now. And which is why I, I like, I, I get the heebie-jeebies from that because I'm like, this is marketing bullshit. Yeah. Mm. yeah right. There you go. If you want to dry hop yeah. a Pilsner, then call it a dry hopped Pilsner. But yeah. call it a tie, whatever. You can call fine. it whatever you want, actually. Call it whatever you yeah. want. Just trying to it's start. Just like I said, hot, sweaty mess. Yeah. <laughs> And with that hot, sweaty mess, I tell you what, let's take a hot, sweaty break. Well, no, we're not hot and sweaty. We're sitting here in a beautiful brewery. Uh, it closed on a Monday. We're calm. We're having a delicious conversation and drinking delicious beer. Back in a sec.
for our uh, final section, we don't know how long this is going on because Matt said he could talk forever about we, the next we got, topic. We got more loggers. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're be here till tonight. I don't know how long. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to explore uh, a couple of things that we talked about earlier. You talked about your the previous beer we had. Oh, I guess I should say what beer we're drinking now. So we've moved on to the Hellas Lager, um, and this is five point three. So we've gone up a little bit, right? Yeah, just a hair. Just yep. a, oh, five percent on the American Lager. The Citro was five also. Yeah. Five also. This is 5.3. Very easy drinking beers. Um, tell us about this one, Chuck, because mm. Church, Church Street does Heavenly Alice, mm. and so you should be well familiar with this um, particular style. Yeah, like I was, Critique. Like I was, like this guy was saying before, I mean, I used to, when I used to judge Hellas's, I would, if I tasted hops, I would, I might ding it a little bit, you know. And then, uh, <laughs> but that's being really strict on style. You know, when, our, when we first came out with our Hellas at Church Street, it was it was it really wasn't a Hellas. It was really hoppy, and that, that's what became Continental. Then, uh, then Mark came in, got everything. You know, this is like the very first batch of Hellas, the very first. And then, then we ended up having two beers, a Continental and a Hellas. And um, the Hellas, you know, tasted very much like this. When you taste this beer, you know, malt is the is the star. You know. Yeah, that I, I, you got just enough hop to support the malt, so it doesn't. You know, if you don't put any hops in your beer, it's going to taste like malt. I mean, it's going to be real sweet. So it's got supporting hop, and that's all you need. And if you start drinking a Hellas and you start, you know, picking up oh, hop in the nose or whatever, well, you know, it's probably not going to in right really in the right style category. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, when you're selling beer, no one really. Style is about the last thing sometimes you care about. You're trying to make money. So, um, <laughs> so right? Uh, so I, I can be a stickler about style, but also whether I like the beer. I like this beer because I think it's got um, just enough hop in it to, to keep me interested. But it's not, it's not um, hobby by any, by any means. What are the hops that you use in this one? So we, we bitter pretty much everything with Magnum. Uh, it's a German high alpha variety, which okay. which allows us to get, you know, a good amount of bitterness with low amount of like green matter. So if you, you use a higher alpha acid hop, uh, it's about efficiency, of course, okay. but also about. We don't want um, if we're looking for bitterness on the early boil additions, we're not looking for a lot of green matter. Think chlorophyll or blades of grass to come with that alpha mm-hmm. acid. So we want to. Obviously, um, err on the side of, of higher alpha acid hops, so we can use less of them to achieve the pure, clean bitterness that we're looking for. And then um, on the aroma, pretty much all of our our lagers, we do a, a 50-50 blend for flavor and aroma additions of specifically the German style lagers. The German, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Darren. Um, of Herzbrucker and Hallertau Mittelfru, and those are both just classic. Right. You know, South German. The Hallertau is just north of Munich, about 45 minutes. Um, it's the biggest hop growing region in Germany, and those are two of the old school, like just all star traditional uh, varieties. We love those. Um, we just started recently um, sourcing all of our hops from a single hop farm um, in the Hallertau. We buy direct from them. Um, in Germany. Yeah, yeah. The cool thing about my wife being German, every year we go back to Germany, and and um, I always get to hang out with some of my old friends in the industry. And we recently met 
Um, the Seitz brothers down in, in the Hallertau region, um, where Hallertau Mittelfruh and, and Hallertau Harrisburger get their name. And they are? Uh, Florian and... Uh, shit. I can't help you. That's okay. a really oh, weird so, name. So what are they? Are they a big hop growers? Yeah, yeah. They, okay. Well, not big. Family farm, kind of like our farm. Okay. Actually, pretty small hop growers. Oh. Um, Florian and, damn it. I hope the other guy. <laughs> They're Germans. I doubt they'll listen to the, to the podcast. The Britain Yankee Put you on the spot. Yeah. Put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, nice, small family farm, but they've done a really good job. They do a lot, you know, their own kilning on site. So they harvest and kiln the hops on site. They've got a really old um, kiln that was from East Germany. Uh, they, they bought from the East Germans used to grow hops back when they were two separate countries yep. and had some really like rocket ship technology, really like kind of inefficient from an energy standpoint, but high airflow kilns um, that the West Germans had engineered like more actually efficient, efficient. Yep. higher temperature, less airflow um, kilns. And, and these guys, you know, the way they explained it to me and, 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 you know, at least at a basic theoretical standpoint, it checks out this a little bit less efficient from an energy standpoint type of drying helps to retain it's a little gentler on the hop and you can retain more of those volatile aromatics um so uh, you know and as family farmers it was it's really been a priority for us to also search out in our supply chain are there any other independent family farms that we can cut the middleman out of Mm -hmm. and do business with directly it's rewarding on a lot of levels um and i'm going to assume that when the hops come over it's in pellet form. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you ever use fresh? You don't use fresh. We, we did one beer. Oh, they're fried. <laughs> we, we, we have made a fresh hop beer. Yeah. I call, I call them whole hops. Wet hop. Because sure. pellets are yeah. still fresh. I mean, pellets yeah. are the best. I mean, in some beers, we'll use actually CO2 extract and are really bitter, like the IPL beers, we'll use CO2 extract because that's the best, in my opinion. That's a hop oil? It's a hop oil. Hop it's oil. an extract, okay. yeah. Um, best way to get that amount of bitterness with a, even less vegetative matter, even less chlorophyll yeah. goes into the, the beer. Um, but yeah, pellets are just awesome. Um, they're, they're exactly the same thing as whole cone hops, except at the point when they're done in the kiln, they very quickly get hammer milled, pressed into this pellet form through a dye. And what that does is it just drastically increases the amount of all the good stuff we want as, as a ratio to the surface area. They get rid of some of the hop, like, uh, some plat or the, yeah, the chlorophyll, you're getting rid of chlorophyll, your leafy matter. Yeah. And when it's in pellet form too, it's, there's less oxygen. Uh, because that ratio, right? right? Because yeah, we've yeah. because we've pressed all the good stuff into a tiny package. Mm-hmm. There's relatively small surface area, so you're going to oxidize less. Mm-hmm. It goes in an inert gas flushed bag. Um, so if you use whole hops, you better use them right away. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I'm sure yeah. that's what they did in the old days. Obviously, before they were able well, yeah, to pelletize yeah. stuff. Yeah. I was watching a video um, based on when we were brewing the Zeugel. I wanted to find out a little bit about what that was and i found a video a very interesting video it was uh, in german um but luckily it was only subtitled so nice. <laughs> but it was about how they brewed the zeugel in newhouse okay and that's one of the last places that they do that and i found it very interesting because it was very much uh you know throwing wood underneath the uh the boil and 
throwing that in, getting that hot, and then everything was pretty much old school. And I didn't actually see the bit where he added the hops, but I don't. I think he was adding pellets because it was modern day, modern day brewing. Of well, that. and if you ever have a chance to tour a Sierra Nevada brewery and see their hop bale storage room where they still use whole cone hops, I I recommend it just for the smell alone uh, to walk <laughs> in there yeah. and be like surrounded by you know these towering bales of hops and just it's like a brewer's uh, dream. It's very space inefficient. <laughs> Um, to buy yep. whole cone hops, um, I would argue that from a you know, also from a quality standpoint, if you aren't super tight on how you store that, like I'm sure right. Sierra Nevada is. So yeah, the, the, their warehouse is bigger than our entire brewery, mm-hmm. and it's refrigerated the yeah. whole room. <laughs> there, so think of it this way: yeah. the property tax on their room where they store those would bankrupt our brewery. <laughs> so, like, Wait a minute. I'm not going to cast Sounds those. like the property taxes on my house. <laughs> I'm in Illinois. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so so uh, quick one to each of you. Favorite hop you would put into, or I say hop, hops, two, okay, that you put into a lager. Matt? Uh, well, it's, it's what we use um, for the aroma and the uh, the flavor aroma edition, middle fruit and Harrisbrooker is a great one. I would love to experiment around with some um, Tegernsee area uh, Tetnang hops. Okay, yeah, Tetnang. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm sorry, not Tegernsee. The uh, the um, Kim, no, not the Kimsey. It's called uh, Lake Constance in English. Shit, what do they call it in German? I don't know. That's where they... Constance Lake? No. <laughs> That's where they flew the Zeppelins down there. Uh, it's going to come... Oh, no, we don't talk but, about that. But, but the, uh, te- <laughs> the Tetnang region, just yeah. north of the... Okay. Bodensee. There oh, it is. Okay. There it is. I've, so I need some more help. You, Darren, you agree with him, I guess. I don't... Do you, I, I, no, okay, so, 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 you know, Matt, Matt is a big fan of his German styles. But honestly, uh, you know, when people ask, you know, what's my favorite beer? I say the American lager. And I love uh, the, the crystal hops that we use in that beer. It, um, you know, I like it. I worked in Anheuser-Busch. I made a lot of American lager-style beers yep. in my day. I was proud of yep. the work I did there, and I'm proud of the work that we I do here. I kept them in business for a, a long yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> During the 80s. <laughs> what, what hot would you like to brew for a lager? What, what's my favorite? See, the word favorite, it never works for me. Like, when, you, when, you, when you're setting up a password and they ask you a bunch of security questions and there's like 10 to say, what's your favorite? I just skip right through all of them. Because <laughs> I have no... I don't have okay. no favorite what beer. What prefer? I'll, I'll start with the Hellas is what I usually start with, okay. just to get my palate calibrated and, and whatever. And then, you know, by the end of the day, I've worked my way up to Doppelbach, and I probably traced it every single <laughs> We've one. got some in the cooler. <laughs> We're talking about hops, though. What, your favorite, what do you well, like to brew with? Oh, hop. I mean, what do you put into well, your it, 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 Okay, so I guess Tetnanger is probably my favorite okay. of, of the noble hops. Um, Tradition is an interesting one. I tinkered with that one a little bit. That one's real floral at first. It's like, and then the floral dies out pretty quick. Just kind of neat. We did. We used the Tetnanger in our, in our Dortmunder. Oh, and which, that was very. Which good. I brought along. Actually. Oh, you um, gotta try that. Yeah, looking forward so to it. So okay, so we've done the hops. So let's go back to the malt. It seems like you use a lot of wire. Is it Weiermann or Weiermann? Well, in, in German, it'd be Weiermann. Okay, there we go. Hey, that's the guy who puts out fire, isn't it? <laughs> The fireman. <laughs> anyway, so you use that more, um, but you had mentioned six-row pills. That's not the typical malt that goes into this type of beer. That's a two-row. What? What is that difference? 
I mean, I know, but maybe the listeners don't. <laughs> um, so continental European brewing tradition um, is all two-row barley. That's, what, that's what's historically been used in beer for the old world where you're from. And what is that two rows? Is it just two rows of barley that are growing? Just like this. If you take two fingers yeah. and, and hold them up, yeah. that's how many rows, well, together, not that. Oh, not, okay. that's, how you say, that's how you say piss off in England, right? I believe you toss her or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's, that's Okay, so put the, fingers, put, put the fingers yeah. together. Yeah. In and, England, this is twice as bad as that, which right. is the one finger, right? That's right. There we go. So uh, anyway. There's no one row barley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So two row barley is okay. literally two fingers held together. Yep. That's what the head of the barley plant looks like when it's in the field, when it's mature. Okay. There's two rows of seeds growing up at the top. That's right. Okay. Yep. And then six row, if you took like three fingers on each hand and smash them together, it, and you look at it from the top, it kind of looks like a circle. Because yeah. you filled it out, and that's that's what the head of the barley plant looks is like. Is that it's, a it's, more expensive barley to grow? Is the seed more expensive? It doesn't sound like it's well. So, so the entire American macro and craft beer industry has shifted over to modern American two-row barley, mm -hmm. and there's a uh, um, there's a great there's an interesting history to it. We could write do a whole podcast on it, um, but most uh, American two-row barleys now have uh, kind of the, the traditional properties that six-row barley used to have, and why, that's why all the um, you know, macro-American adjunct brewers used to use six-row, because you're using an adjunct, so either you know, corn or rice are the, are the two big ones, uh, as uh, in addition to the malted barley that's in your beer. You need the extra enzymes, uh, so you need a barley that carries a bunch of this enzyme power to be able to break that unmalted grain down in your brew house. Uh, so traditionally, six-row barley, because it's got the higher protein content, it's got smaller kernels, mm -hmm. it's got a higher protein to carbohydrate ratio or starch ratio, uh, it had this super enzyme power that then you could use that in your beer and you didn't have to add any enzymes out of a bucket to be able to uh, use those adjuncts in your beer. Um, and, and over the past, I don't know, 60, 80 years or so, uh, the, because the big brewers are the ones that use the most barley uh, in this country and in Canada, um, they have uh, slowly had the barley breeders uh, uh, breed two-row barley that uh, mimics the six-row characteristics of having this really strong enzyme power to it. Um, so that's like the super, super technical... Um, reason why most brewers have shifted over to brewing two-row barley now because you don't have to have the six-row barley to make adjunct beers mm -hmm. but if you look at traditionally what happened what what brewers brewed with in the u.s it was a six-row style barley so there's no real difference in the flavor it's just the oh, no 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 there oh, is, oh, there is. Okay. So, this literally just popped into my head we've been doing this for years and years and years but this analogy just popped in my head two-row barley is like white bread and six-row barley is like whole wheat bread mm -hmm. Six-row barley, because it's smaller, has, a, has, a, has less starch as a ratio to everything else that's in the grain. Right. And starch is like your, your, your ethanol source. It's the right. booze source of, of the finished product. So like using like a, a sifted, bleached white bread flour to make baguette versus whole grain to make, you know, an all-grain bread or whatever you'd call it, that's, it's a fairly 
good analogy, I think. Um, six row has more enzyme, more protein, and more flavor. And the big brewers would dilute that by using an adjunct. And that's how you got a still a neutral beer uh. using uh, a barley that might have more flavors. You just dilute it with adjunct. But what we found, uh, the real pain in the ass here is that we have to grow the grain. Yeah. Right. I just can't hop on the Internet and and, and uh, <laughs> put in an order and get it. And if we're brewing or if we're growing grain here, um, we've found that the six grow six row grows better here, which is not a major surprise because genetically, you know, it's what had grown here in the mm -hmm. past. And the two row when it was getting it, it never really grew here ever. It, not and, in central Illinois. No. In, in America, yes, but not not here. And, and, and really, six row was always the, the dominant variety. And as two row kept getting all these brewing characteristics that some of the big brewers wanted in, into it, um, you, you know, they never really bred in any characteristics that allowed it to be grown anywhere except Montana, North Dakota. Okay. Uh, Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, Canada. Yep. So very cool and dry. So the six row is really the barley that shines the best agronomically here. And because we're, we're both farmers and brewers, you know, the farmer has a seat at the table in the discussion of, hey, what raw material are we yeah. going to grow? We need a crop that, that likes to grow here. And oh, by the way, it's going to have more flavor, color, um, aroma, enzymes, and protein. So we got to find, uh, if we're going to use that to a high degree, we got to find the beer styles that it fits into. And more importantly, we got to find ways to brew with it and how to cut it with adjuncts so that we get it into that specification. The average beer drinker is going to want to drink six. Yeah, which, which, by the way, oh, oh, by the way, we also grow a lot of corn here <laughs> to, yeah. to be able to use that. So we also grow the adjuncts. That's a happy coincidence. Yeah. Now, do yeah. you... Um, do you grow the the barley in the winter time, or do you like double? Uh... So we do both. We do we usually do um, winter barley and spring barley. The okay. winter barley allows us to do a really nice double crop with soybeans, so the farm right. makes some more money off of that. But we usually grow both, um, just in case there's an issue. And and you know we're still experimenting. I mean, there's that's that's the joy of this, uh, of what we're doing here is. You know, you've got all the experimentation you can do on the brewery side, but then you can peel it all the way back to the farm side. Right. And there is equally that amount of variables and experimentation that can be done. Uh, so, yeah, we're playing with a lot of varieties. We'll have, we'll have three, three varieties of barley in the ground this year, for example. Mm -hmm. So we um, corner of the field up here in the brewery is actually uh, we've carved out a piece that the University of Illinois Small Grains Breeding Department gets access to it. We work with them and we do little trial plots. Um, so. Great thing about being in Urbana, you know, here at the university, we're able to, to have access to a land-grant university with a very um, in-depth uh, small grains breeding program. Uh, we've, we, we're starting to work now with other universities around the country to bring in some of their best candidates. Mm -hmm. And we stress them out here. So here in Central Illinois, I like to call it, we're in a corn jungle. <laughs> it is hot and humid I'll in say. the summer. Yeah, <laughs> hot, sweaty uh, mess yeah. as a country, but we are a hot, sweaty corn jungle uh, here in Illinois. And what's cool is we're now getting some of the best candidates for for new American malting barley varieties sent to us from other universities because they want to test out how fungal resistant their barleys are. And we have perfect like breeding ground for fungus here. It's hot and humid. <laughs> yeah. So Virginia Tech is now sending us oh, their cool. best varieties. Um, that aren't even named yet, 
Like these are just like a whole bunch of letters in a row. They're not even released to the public, <laughs> and we're stress testing them in our in our sweat jungle here. Cool. Right next to the beer garden. Yeah. So next to the beer garden. So uh, okay, we, we talked about that. Now different styles of lagering, and the only ones I really know are that, or, or the brewing of it, I should say rather, is that um, all you guys do decoction. Is it decoction? Yeah, I don't. I have a problem with that. Anyway, decoction <laughs> brewing. Um, Let's be careful. Versus non, and so maybe you can tell me well, number one, what is decoction brewing, and, and number two, why do you do that versus just a regular straight up one like we did with the Zeugel? Yeah, well, I, I think it. I think it probably went back to before there were really accurate thermometers, and so people would, you know, they knew if they started, you know, here at room temperature, and then they. Take a third, boil it, throw it back in. You'd step through all the temperatures, you know. You, you get your 90-degree rest, you know, your acid rest, and the protein rest, and then the beta rest and alpha, or so on and so forth. And, uh, and that worked pretty well. And then once they started getting accurate thermometers, I suppose you didn't really need to do that. But then you start changing. Anytime you change anything in the brewing process, it changes the result. Mm -hmm. It just does. Um, and so... You know, when people ask me today, well, you know, I'm setting up a brewery, you know, do I want to do decoction or do, do I not want to? I say, well, you know, first of all, my experience is if, if you've got a steam-driven system, it's not going to have that big of an effect as if you've got a fire-driven system because, you know, you're not going to get that real. It, it, a fire-driven system will, will darken it up more. Um, but you also have to ask, too, is if you're just passionate about it. And sometimes if, if that's the way you want to do it, there's... It's more, you'll get better efficiency. Um, it will darken it up, and you will get some higher sugars from that. Uh, and so, um, but, it, but you can still make great beers without decoction. Right. I, I had uh, one of my brewing professors out at UC Davis was uh, Professor Bamforth, and he would say, uh, you know, sometimes a beer has to taste right here, and he would point at his mouth, and he said, but sometimes a beer has to taste right here, and he pointed at his heart, and he's like, <laughs> you know, this brew, this beer is brewed with a decoction, right. and that's their traditional way, and that, you know, we've just got to do it that way, or, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say there's two reasons yeah. that you can choose to decoct or not decoct, and, and it depends on the style, and we do both. There's plenty, we make plenty of beers where we use decoction, there's plenty of beers that we make where we choose not to. Um, so one is flavor. Mm -hmm. um, I would argue that there's a certain amount of a depth of malt character that you can get through decoction by taking a, a small portion, relatively small portion of the boil, or of the mash, I'm sorry, and bringing it over and boiling it. That, that can give you a layered malt depth that it's like a really nuanced, interesting. We don't have the Doppelbach out. We should be drinking Doppelbach for this. Right. This I mean, segment. So what I what I what I discovered with I the cocks <laughs> is that um, it, it's almost like uh, it almost has like a like a fruit character, but it's not fruit. Or it's not. Yeah. But but it's uh, you're right. Raisins and dates. I like to say yeah. a dark a dark mash that's been yep. decocted. You get raisins and dates, and yeah. if you and if you use like melanoidin malt or a lot of crystal malts to try to imitate that flavor with a, with a single temperature infusion, you're going to get like there's going to be a cloying sweetness. Real sweet. Yep. Um, so that's that's the main thing. Maybe it is a good time to take a break, and but, we'll pour some Doppelbach and talk sure. about. Sure. But, I mean, right. but for me, with Hellas, you know, decoction gives you. Sometimes people think. Uh, Maybe the maybe the fermentation was a little warm. What, what is that flavor? It's not an ester, but I'm tasting mm. something, mm -hmm. and it's a fruitiness. 
it's just a real mild fruitiness that you'll get. It's a layer of, of complexity yeah. that, that can definitely make a, make a beer taste really good. I, I, I like to say it's a purple. To like a purple flavor, and that that alludes to the raisins and the dates, yeah, yeah, right? So yeah, a yeah. dark, you know, a, a, a sun-dried fruit right. type of flavor to it. So when right. You... Quick, ten seven break. All right, all right. And we'll be out with the doppelbock. A final uh, segment here uh, includes a tasting of your doppelbock which uh, we had a discussion about the naming of Doppelbox, and it has to have Ator on the end of it and be something like the first one, which was Salvatore. Um, but you have not named it, or have you named it? No, we haven't. How Are, about, I got it for you, Doppelbock Ator. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you said uh, um, that you wanted to have us taste this because this is one of those beers that, gives out all those raisiny, fruity flavors at the end of it. And yeah. the, we're serving it in a, uh, in a beautiful snifter glass here, and uh, you're giving it a good swirl to release. Let it the, open up. Uh, release yeah. the, and I can smell that. When I taste it, yes, I get all that kind of fruity, raisiny, dark stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, I get a really dry, a, a big dryness that, fades away and I'm back now to normal saliva but mm-hmm. the dryness is nice because you got the sweetness up front mm-hmm. and if it doesn't dry out a little bit it's going to build up after a while mm-hmm. and become cloying. So this is not your t- traditional lager that we would look at and say yep you know like the Hellas and the Pilsners and everything when you look at this one this <laughs> is the uh, dark brown color the I don't know not dark brown it's a bright brown color of uh, Morrison's and things like that. Um, how do you get the color into this and how do you make this to be, this is a Bock beer, right? Uh, Doppelbock. Doppelbock. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, so so quick primer for anybody who's taken lager notes or, or really brewing notes in general for German brewing. Um, a, a, a Bock beer needs to have at least 16 degrees Play-Doh of density, original gravity. Um, to be called a Bach beer in Germany. In America, you can call anything anything. Um, but <laughs> I think we've been down that rabbit hole. Yeah, you, know, you do not have standards in, <laughs> in America. Verboten! <laughs> yeah. um, but for a Doppelbach, you have to have at least 18 degrees Play-Doh of original gravity. Um, that translates, you know, a single normal Bach is going to be somewhere around 6% mm-hmm. and up, and a Doppelbach will usually be like 8% and maybe just up a little bit, but really not up much more because... Right. Especially on the lager side, 3470 does not like to go above 8%. Um, it can go a little bit higher, but you're going to really stress it out. And then you got to pitch so many cells that you're not really making a lager anymore because now it's, it's kind of acting like an ale when you pitch a bunch of cells. It's almost like fermenting it warm when you overpitch. Too much. And, and I certainly don't want to stress out your yeast cells. Well, well, you don't either because this would taste like shit. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Doppelbach is, is historically the biggest lager. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I would say that rightfully so. We should kind of keep it at that level because, again, to have a lager yeast perform like we want a lager yeast to, to perform, mm-hmm. which means cold, slow, neutral fermentation, super clean, letting the other ingredients shine through. Um, if you get much higher, you, you you almost might as well just use an ale yeast 
because the logger is going to get so messy due to the amount of cells that you're going to have to pitch. But if you use an ale yeast, then you have to go an ale, really. Right. So why even why even go down that that path? Uh, stop at Doppelbach, and it's fine. This is a great beer style. Um, so we do a double decoction on this beer. That's that's when we take a, a portion of that mash over and boil it, um, which is which is how I think we 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 layer a nice kind of complex malt profile without being sweet. Um, you can mimic the color and some of the flavor and aroma attributes of this beer by using some caramel malts or melanoid malts, um, but you won't get the dryness. Mm. This gives you that that figgy, raisiny, toasted bread, but then just bam, it's like instantly gone mm -hmm. off the palate. That's the secret of lager yeast, lager fermentation. Same thing with the Schwarz beer. That's why I like Schwarz beer so much better than ales and porters, no offense, sir. No. But, um, you know, Schwarz beer cleans off the palate quicker. It's right. like you have the whole symphony, the experience, and then boom, it's gone, which leaves you thirsty. And as a brewer, I like right. leaving people thirsty because <laughs> that means they want another drink. They, they sell more kegs and uh, yeah. we get to pay that real estate tax. Yeah, no, I, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I like porters and everything, but I, I certainly like, and I'm glad you said it because I wanted to, it was Schwartz. But it's Schwarz, right? Schwarzbier. Schwarzbier. In the Deutsch, Frechen, Dunsaren, we're Schwarzbier. Yeah, and that's great. We're getting a, we're getting a lesson in German here, but I, I do like that as well. Um, mouthfeel on lagers tend to be, in my opinion, very much up to about the medium body, but not over that. So if you've got something that's got a heavy mouthfeel, I don't think it is really brewed as a lager. Um, even this Doppelbock is very light in its mouthfeel. Yeah, you know, I mean, ales are, they have an ester character to them, which is, it just fills things out more and, and, uh, and lagers, you know, we like them cleaner. And uh, this is the, the large, the big end. So obviously it's got a lot going on flavor wise, but like, like Matt was saying, it dries out afterwards. That's mm -hmm. the key. Cause if it doesn't dry out afterwards, you know, it, it, if you just have a little bit, it might taste great. But if you pour somebody a full one of these, and after you're gonna, you're gonna see at the end of the night, there's gonna be a bunch of like half, you know, full glasses. You know, yes, yeah, it's the difference between a dessert and a meal. Yes. And yeah, on yeah. the Doppelbach, I'd say this is still it's a it's a big hearty meal, but it's a meal. Right. It's not the fudge cake dessert. Right. Right. I personally, I never end a meal on dessert. I always leave like a little bit of of the main course, and if I have any dessert, I, I want to finish on that that meal piece. And I think that's part of the reason why I like lagers so much mm. is that I kind of don't want that really kind of complicated, cloying, hanging complexity of a dessert or, yeah. or a big ale. I always like to finish with something that's nice and clean and, and, and neutral. Before the break, um, we talked about, like, or I, I was saying something, there's two reasons to decoct. One is flavor-wise, you know, you can drive some of those Maillard reactions through decoction um, that, are, that I think are, are a lot um, more balanced than what you can get if you buy just specialty malt. The second um, kind of brings us back to the first beer we had and the second beer we had, the conversation. There's a real technical reason that decoction is still important. Um, the temperature uh, measurement is why uh, a, a big reason why it was a, a handy tool uh, mm -hmm. before thermometers were around. But also you got to realize when you're working with under-modified grains, decoction is a really important tool. Um, and 200 years ago, all grain was under-modified that we, that we brewed with. Um, today, you can't really buy 
under modified grain, uh, but we grow a lot of it <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right here in Illinois on our farm. Um, a lot of times our barley is, is under modified and we can actually thermally modify the grain through decoction. Um, so these starch granules that are in the grain um, that we that we grow here and, and as is malted here locally, um, they've kind of got their cell wall and protein matrix still pretty robustly um, protecting the starch innards that as brewers we're after. Mm-hmm. Um, the the malting process um, on local grains usually leaves us with like that that cell wall that protective layer being too robust to. Uh, fully gain access to those starches in the brew house. Uh, and decoction is a really great tool to use when you have that problem because when you boil the grain, you kind of pop that starch like like popcorn. Right. And you can thermally gain access to what um, nowadays most brewers are just getting that raw material already enzyma- enzymatically degraded in the malt house. They're getting that thing. It's almost like, like the pre-bake uh, pie mix. One temperature, move on and go. Um, I, I do want to stress that, you know, a second reason why it's really important for us to have decoction in our brewery is that we're using a lot of under-modified barley, and, and we use that as a tool, as brewers have for a 1,000 years before us, just right. not in the last 80 years, right. but before then, for a 1,000 years, breweries were using decoction to also finish the modification of their malt. And we, uh, that, uh, the hell, special hellas that, that I brought, uh, was brewed with malt, under-modified malt, um, and so we did decoction on that. We decocted actually a little more than we normally do. Where, where did you get that? Um, Sugar Creek. Yeah, yeah, I know. On I know Caleb. That. Yeah, Caleb. Yep. And so, Michael. and uh, if I had my bell, I'd give so him a ding. There we go. We did a we did a collaboration there, and so uh, and so that worked out really well. So 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 like on our American Lager, where we use uh, a portion of our own uh, six-row malt. Uh, in, a, in a typical American double mash, there's a whole nother episode uh, to come back for later. That's a four-hour episode. <laughs> to talk <laughs> about what a traditional American double mash is. When we make that American lager, we throw uh, the, the the portion of, of barley that goes in the adjunct mash is all of our barley for that exact reason that Matt just pointed out, is that it's a little under-modified. It all goes in that adjunct mash. It all gets boiled and then mm-hmm. pumped over into the main mash and... Um, you know, it's it's almost like it was designed for it. Yeah, and you see that that protein you're like on top of your mash just from your decoction because mm-hmm. you broke it down so yeah. much. You know. So uh, we have to uh, kind of wrap ourselves up here a little bit, although we could continue talking, and I'm sure we will continue talking after we, we probably will. finish recording, because you're going to have your lines clean, and I don't mean your lines, I mean the brewery lines. But <laughs> um, <laughs> final question, then I guess, what is your favorite lager? for today and why and it doesn't have to be yours i mean i actually i'd like to understand which one you prefer that you brew and then one other one that you think is a really good one and i'm going to go around the the table here we'll start with darren oh well i've got um i've got so many uh so many i could pick from from my uh, former employer uh, you know, I, I mentioned I, I'm a big fan of our American lager just because it's a it's a difficult style to execute. It uses a lot of our own grain. It's one of our most popular beers, and I love uh, I love how it tastes. Um, you know, uh, when I'm <clears throat> maybe uh, enjoying time away from the brewery and have to pick something to uh, to keep myself hydrated, um, 
I like a you know a bush or a bush light um, from my Look from Anheuser Busch. Um, you know, it's it's refreshing. Uh, it's uh, it's got corn in it as opposed to uh, the Bud or the Bud Light. So as a corn farmer, I got to support that uh, side of the industry. And I can still uh, I can still if you uh, had me blind taste and you gave me a Miller Light and a Coors Light and a Bush Light, I'd, I'd be able to tell you which was which. So that, that, that barrel of corn syrup, maybe it wasn't actually going to Coors. Maybe it was going to the Bush. Oh, no, no, no. So at Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> we brewed with corn grits. Oh, not the syrup. Oh, not the oh, syrup. No okay. syrup. All That's right. those and, Miller guys. And I just have to say here, I can, I can hear people who are listening and going, what? You know, and it's like, remember, those guys have been brewing for a long time, and they can do it the same for millions of gallons. Absolutely. And it, and it appeals to a lot of people. I have to say that Bush Light, if I had to choose one of those, if I was drinking a light beer, which I think hell has to freeze over three times for that to happen. <laughs> but I did used to drink Bush Light at one point when mm -hmm. it was a good refreshing beer. You know, well, well, it still is a good refreshing beer, but when I needed something like that. But now I've got I would, other choices. I would drink what other say. people, if I walked in back in the 80s in the bar, I'd look to see what everyone else is drinking. Mm -hmm. If they're drinking Bud, I ordered a Bud. If they're drinking Old Style, order Old Style because they want to get beat up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave Matt till the last here because I don't, I, I wouldn't say Matt's opinionated, but <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. What would be, what would you, your favorite lager that you would like to drink? Your, yours, one other one? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, if I was here, I'd, I'd probably spend, or if I went fishing, I'd probably take the Hellas if it was, you know, yeah. or whatever. Um, probably even my go-to. Um, but you know, this one disappeared first, so <laughs> probably the, maybe the Doppelbach. Uh, American lager, possibly. Uh, if, well, it could be other brands could be other as well. But other brands, you know, if, if I go, <laughs> Koenig, Pils Koenig Pilsner used to be my, my if I find it in 16 yeah. ounce cans, that's to be one I would buy. And then um, I can't find that anymore. So uh, Bitburg is like, eh, if I can get a fresh one. Um, uh, Velton's is okay. Um, <laughs> They're all German ones. Yeah, see? well, right. <laughs> I mean, these are the ones I can find. Uh, so what you're saying, Chuck, is you're undecided. Uh, uh, Ondex, I like the Ondex. The Ondex has a nice oh, box. Go. All right. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to say that I like. I certainly love Itasca Fest, which is Church Street's. Oh, I uh, forgot all of Anger's products, yeah. by the way. Okay, uh, all of Anger's, there we go. <laughs> but I have to say that if, if I wanted to have a beer, the, was it Vienstefan? How do you pronounce it? Weinstefan. Weinstefan. Right. Weinstefan. I love their beers. They're uh, premium. The premium, yeah. That is really, like, really good. It's their Hellas. If I have to drink yeah. uh, a classic uh, lager, well, you know, I have to say that that some of the church streets and art histories, because we can't get your Riggs beer as often as we'd <laughs> like up there. But as I have stated many times, and this is not a lager, but it's on your list of your Hefeweizen, and I think you're second to none. So now we're going to come to Matt. Now, what would you drink now? You've got the world of lagers. What do you What do you think is a really good one for people to drink? Well, I think, you know, of the what we had today, the one that I'm most proud of is the six row um, because it's 100% yes, yeah. our grain and 100% Illinois hops. So it's a really, really unique beer. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that we're kind of on the same page, Darren and I, that we'd like to see that go onto the year-round menu. Mm. 
I, w- I would love to see. Yeah. It. I would love to see you put that. I in think the two or three more iterations, we and we're going to get that dialed we in. Got some tweaks yeah, there's make. a few tweaks. You okay. know, the American we've done a hundred batches in a row, like, and it's where I want it to be. Yeah. I think after like ten more times on the six row, we're going to get that to where uh, it's really. Can you grow enough of it then? To, to oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I would say that, you know, it's a very unique style of pills, and closest I would say yes is something like your special hell, but. You know, it it's it's yeah. got something in it that says this is different. Yeah, you know, and that's is, and that's why I'm so know, excited about it because in a, in, yeah. a, in an industry with nine thousand brands, yeah. it's it's really helpful to say, hey, this is this is truly unique. Um, okay. But then when it comes to like um, beer overall, lager overall, um, I'll just have to revert back. So I I went to. I studied at, at Doman's Academy for a year in Munich and uh, lived lived there in the city. And most people that live in Munich will tell you that Augustiner is the best Hellas because it's mm-hmm. it's privately owned and it's the oldest and it's just got the most like hype. I don't yeah. know. Do you want to get back into the hype discussion? Yeah. No, we don't have time. <laughs> anyway, it's got the most hype. Yeah. But objectively, in blind taste testings, I routinely confirmed that personally and also with a whole bunch of Munich citizens. The thought that Augustina was their favorite, a fresh Spaten Hellas is as close to God as you can come. It's, wow. it's really good. Now, it, they don't do a very good job of getting it in country here in the U.S. very well. Um, it, it doesn't show up in the same, same uh, condition. Yeah. But if you can go to Munich and get fresh Spaten on tap, Hellas, mm. um, or, or bottled, but fresh. Hellas just doesn't travel. That doesn't travel well. Doesn't have enough, it doesn't have that's enough. why it's great, because it's yeah. fresh. Well, it doesn't Take, have enough hops in it to really survive yeah. the journey. Book, you know? book the ticket, fly to Munich, and, and I don't know, dear listeners, uh, you do a blind taste testing. That's that's when you yeah. really get to find find out what you really that's, like and what you don't. That's right. Drink that beer blind, and oh by the way, it's you know at the at, it's science. And at the end of the day, you also get to have like at least six or seven beers. That's <laughs> cool. It's, it's a good way. It is. <laughs> well, a, guys, thank you very end, much. I don't know if we've got to the bottom of lagers. It sounds like there's another many more, many more mm, podcasts yeah. to come, and perhaps we can do that at some point. But I will say that uh, every beer that I've had here today, I've really enjoyed. Um, I was into ales a lot, really, previously. I mean, I think there's IPAs and then ESBs and things like that. But I've really got to appreciate lager beers more. And I think it's because breweries like yourself, like Chuck, you know, you're, you're brewing these beers and providing an option outside of your bush light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then again, there is a market for that. They wouldn't be quite so big if there wasn't a market for, for it. Sure. So, I, you know, as we always say, drink what you like. Yeah. Um, it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. And it's thanks to you guys, the Riggs brothers, uh, who raise our glasses. Don't you have your snifter? Oh, oh that's a oh, much better mine's one. Mine's empty. Well, that's right. It makes a good <laughs> clang. Cheers. Prost. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you said Prost. I know they clang the bottom of the mugs because it's thick, right? The, the wheat beer glass. Yeah. So oh. on, on pretty much every other glassware in Germany, uh, you know, hit where you need to. Maybe not too hard because yeah. all glass will break. But yeah. on the wheat beer glass especially, kick the bottom out. And you, okay. you anstoß or cheers, like hit glasses together. Anstoßen. Anstoßen. Oh, I got to uh, remember you, that one. You do that with the bottom of a wheat beer glass only because the top of a wheat beer glass is super yeah. fragile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You learn something every day, folks, and you learn a lot on the Britain Yankee, so we'll see you next time. Cheers.
Bitten Yankee! Bitten Yankee! I'll have a pint, Yank. Go, give us a pint. You got any tetanus? Uh, a pint, please, Bob. Give me another pint, please, Bob.